0: What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to Vanished in the Valley. Today, we are going to talk about the other emerald tablets known as the emerald tablets of Toth the Atlantean. I'll give you a little bit of history around the guy that made up this whole situation, which he calls a translation, and we will go into a little bit of his cult. So you'll get kind of a full background. I'm also going to leave a link in the show notes 2. The Translation of the Emerald Tablets of Toth, the Atlantean, in the show notes. So if you want to go on a deep dive, have at it. It's about 67 pages long, and it has all kinds of fucking crazy-ass information in it. We are also going to talk about some crazy conspiracy theories that have finally been proven true, basically. I'm going to tell you about a recently released paper by the British Medical Journal, that I'm sure uh, absolutely zero mainstream media outlets will be talking about. So sit back, get ready for this. Before we get into all of that, I've got to say what's up and thank you to Mike and Travis for helping produce this episode and offsetting the costs of having a crazy conspiracy theory podcast. That's what's up, you guys. Thanks again, Mike and Travis. So we are going to start with who Maurice Doriel, a.k.a. Claude Doggins, actually is. He was born in 1898 and died in 1963. He's an American occultist and founder of the Brotherhood of the White Temple. He basically claimed that during a 1925 visit to the Great Pyramids of Giza, he discovered a set of ancient emerald tablets belonging to the Egyptian deity Toth, who he reimagined as a king of Atlantis. He basically then kind of claims that he translated these texts, and that's what I'm going to be telling you about today. Doriel's translation and his interpretation of what he says are the Emerald Tablets. (laughs) So hold on to your fucking seats, because this goes way the fuck out there. So check this out. This is the preface to the Emerald Tablets of Toth the Atlantean. It starts, The history of the tablets translated in the following pages is strange and beyond the belief of modern scientists. Their antiquity is stupendous, dating back some 36,000 years B.C., the writer is Toth, an Atlantean priest-king who founded the colony in ancient Egypt after the sinking of the mother country, a.k.a. Atlantis. He was the builder of the Great Pyramid of Giza. In this Great Pyramid of Giza, Toth incorporated his knowledge of the ancient wisdom and also securely secreted records and instruments of ancient Atlantis. For some 16,000 years, he ruled the ancient race of Egypt. From approximately 50,000 BC to 36,000 BC. At that time, the ancient barbarous race among which he and his followers had settled had been raised to a high degree of civilization. Toth was an immortal, that is, he had conquered death, passing only when he willed, and even then, not through death. His vast wisdom made him ruler over the various Atlantean colonies, including the ones in South and Central America. When the time came for him to leave Egypt, he erected the great pyramids over the entrance to the great halls of Amenti, placed in his records, and appointed guards for his secrets from among the highest of his people. In later times, the descendants of these guards became the pyramid priests, by which Toth was deified as the god of wisdom, the recorder, by those of the Age of Darkness, which followed his passing. In legend, the halls of Amenti became the underworld, the halls of gods, where souls passed after death for judgment. So the preface kind of goes on a little bit more, but it's giving you an idea where this shit's about to go. Last week, I read you a little excerpt from the Emerald Tablets of Toth, and I'm just gonna kind of give you a little refresher so you fully understand what we're talking about here. <laughs> Fucking reptilians. But anyway. Far in the past before Atlantis existed, men there were who delved into darkness, using dark magic, calling up beings from great deeps below us. Forth came they into this cycle. Formless were they of another vibration, existing unseen by the children of Earthmen. Only through blood could they have formed being. Only through man could they live in the world. In ages past, they were conquered by masters, driven below to the place whence they came. But some there were who remained, hidden in space and plains unknown to man. Lived they in Atlantis shadows, but at times they appeared among men. Ay, when the blood was offered, for they came, they dwell among men. In the form of man they amongst us, but only to sight were they as men." Serpent-headed when the glamour was lifted, but appearing to man as men among men. Crept they into the councils, taking forms that were like unto men. Slaying by their arts the chiefs of the kingdoms, taking their form and ruling our man. Only magic could they be discovered. Only sound could their faces be seen. Sought they from the kingdom of shadows to destroy man and rule this place. So I think that interview is interesting for a couple of reasons. It kind of reminds me of, I guess, what you would call blood magic. You need blood magic to, I guess, summon these fucking shadows, these serpents, whatever the fuck they are, otherworld entities. And it also sounds like the line that says, only by sound could their faces be seen. That sounds like some spell shit to me, motherfuckers. So you need some blood, you need some spell shit, and suddenly this will unmask these entities. So if you go a little bit further into the Emerald Tablets of Tothiadlanian, they start to talk about vibrations. So let's talk about some motherfucking vibrations. Some people who've actually read the tablets seem to think that what this is saying is that sound, vibration can disrupt the reptilian's focus and reveal their true face. Now, I don't fucking know what level these fucking vibrations have to be on. I don't know if there's some fucking like magic words, but a lot of people put stock in this theory that the vibrations or specific words can disrupt the glamour that these reptilian fucking entities are using to trick people. I don't fucking know. Never seen one. Maybe I will. Who knows? But if I do, (laughs) I'll make sure I tell you motherfuckers. Before we go too far in the interdimensional fucking lizards, let's talk a little bit more about Dr. Doriel. According to bibliotechopletes.net, Dr. Doriel, who has a connection with the Great White Lodge which also works through the Pyramid Priesthood, was instructed to recover and return to the Great Pyramids, these ancient tablets. This was accomplished, but before returning them, Doriel was given permission to translate and retain a copy of the wisdom engraved on the tablets. This was done in 1925, and now permission has been given for the translation by Doriel to be published solely through the Brotherhood of the White Temple, which, side note, we will get into them in just a minute. This is the only authorized, original, and true rendition of these emerald tablets. If you go to any search engine and type in brotherhoodofthewhitetemple.com, it'll actually lead you to their fucking website. It's based in Colorado. Let me just kind of explain what exactly the Brotherhood of the White Temple is. It's a theosophical occult organization founded in 1903 in Denver, Colorado. It is devoted to the advancement of metaphysical and spiritual knowledge and the furtherance of the brotherhood of man and establishing of contact with the God, soul, or universal consciousness. The organization was founded by Maurice Doriel, the religious name of Claude Doggins, who claimed to have spent eight years in Tibet during the 1920s. So now that we've had that little cult history lessons, let's get back to the emerald tablets. I'm going to tell you what they physically are supposed to look like. The emerald tablets consist of 12 emerald green steel plates formed from a substance created by alchemical transmutation. They are imperishable, indestructible, and resistant to all elements and substances. Indeed, the atomic and cellular structure is fixed. No changes can take place since they were created and the sacred teachings engraved upon them. On them are engraved characters in the ancient Atlantean language, characters that respond to thought waves in harmony, releasing the knowledge of the associated mental vibration from the reader's mind. So there we are with those fucking vibrations again. I keep seeing a repeating theme of vibrations and shit, and some people say, hey, maybe there are Archons, these uh, otherworld entities, these fucking interdimensional fucking lizards. And Archons are kind of just considered psychic parasites. But that's a whole other ass episode. we're not even going to get into that right now. <laughs> so like I was just saying, there are supposedly 13 of these emerald tablets. And Doriel gave each kind of like a title, almost like chapters. So we have the Key of Wisdom, the Spaceborn, the Key of Magic, the Seven Lords, the Key of Mysteries. And it goes on and on like that. But apparently, there are technically 14 and 15 tablets which they consider supplemental. Well, thank you, Doriel. I appreciate your supplements. In Chapter 3, titled The Key of Wisdom, I did find one part that rang extremely true to me, and it reads, In the human, silence of the senses lies the key to the revelation of wisdom. Those who speak a lot know nothing. Those who know, do not speak. The greatest knowledge is indescribable. For she, wisdom exists as an entity in ways that transcend all material words or symbols. And he kind of goes on to describe symbols as being the key to doors that lead to truths. And often the door is not open because the key seems to be so big that things beyond the door are not visible. If we can understand that all keys, all material symbols are manifestations, are just extensions of the great law the truth itself then we will begin to develop the vision that allows us to penetrate beyond the veil so i know it seems like a lot of new age hoopla hopla bullshit but as with most things if you look deeper into it there are definitely grains of truth words of wisdom whatever the fuck you want to call it so i think maybe just based upon that alone it's worth the read i mean come on it's fucking way the fuck out there it's pretty entertaining And, hey, you might come away with some sort of life lessons. You never know. It is said that anyone who honestly and devotedly seeks spiritual growth and who reads the Emerald Tablets with open eyes, heart, and mind, his wisdom will be increased over a hundredfold. So, I mean, what have you got to lose? Just some time and reading? I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that's probably a better pastime than a lot of the shit. Like, oh, I don't know, drooling in front of the TV, fucking, you name it. So, take it with a grain of salt or, I mean, if you really want some fucking, like, spiritual enlightenment or some shit, check it out. As far as what actually happened to this version of the Emerald Tablets, I've read a few different things. One of the stories is... Egyptian priests, who were basically entrusted to care for these emerald tablets, made a run for it during the 18th dynasty, because the pharaoh at that time was trying to make Egypt become monotheistic instead of polytheistic. So the priests grabbed their shit and hightailed it over to Central and South America, which I believe we were talking about a few weeks ago also has pyramids. I have also heard that Knights Templars got a hold of the Emerald Tablets and was trying to bring them to the Temple of Solomon. Apparently, a bunch of the Templar ships that were on this voyage were sunk, so it's not clear if these Templars actually got the Emerald Tablets to Solomon's Temple, but Check it out, you guys. It kind of mirrors the Book of Enoch. It mirrors different religious movements, thoughts, ideas. There's a lot fucking mixed up into it, and also maybe some sci-fi. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Doctor Doriel was a sci-fi fan. I don't fucking know. And it's kind of hard to distinguish where the Hermetic Emerald Tablet ends and the Emerald Tablet of Toth the Atlantean begins because it's kind of all mixed up into together. But, like I said about 14,000 times, it's an interesting read, so check it out. I will put a link in the show notes if you want to actually read The Emerald Tablets of Toth, The Atlantean, written by Dr. Doral. All right, guys, it's change of subject time. So, remember months and months ago, we were talking about the fucking egg prices and how it's absolutely ridiculous, and I was telling you about all the evidence out there that was showing that these companies, like the giant egg producers... We're conspiring to fix prices. So what I'm specifically talking about is what a jury ruled yesterday. And these price fixes were actually just from 2004 to 2008. This latest price fixing, I don't even know if charges have been filed. But let's talk about the one that went down in 2004 and 2008. An Illinois jury ruled this week that several major egg producers conspired to limit the U.S. supply of eggs in order to raise prices in case stemming from a federal lawsuit originally filed 12 fucking years ago. So if this shit from 2004, 2008 is just now getting fucking solved in our fucked up retarded justice system, so uh, how long is it going to be until these dumb fucks are held accountable for the last one, you know, the one that's actually kind of still going on? Because I see egg prices at my store and it's absolutely fucking ridiculous. It's like $9 for a dozen eggs. So why is this shit from 2004 to 2008 just now being solved? Well, I'd say money probably has a lot to do with it. These are like the fucking largest egg producers in the United States. So they had money. They had hush money. They had fucking bribery money. And you know, all these fucking officials, the FDA and our politicians are corrupt as fuck. So I'm assuming they were getting paid off. I'm assuming their fancy high-priced lawyers were just delaying shit. But let's talk about the most recent price-fixing bullshit in the egg industry. So I want you guys to think back about nine months ago, when suddenly some of the largest egg production plants just decided to burn the fuck down. And this was definitely right in the middle of a quote unquote egg shortage, which I don't believe was an actual egg shortage. I think this was some more price fixing bullshit. And a little side note during this whole fucking fake ass egg shortage, there was a study published in PubMed.gov. The title reads Chicken Egg Yolk Antibodies Block the Binding of Multiple SARS CoV 2 Spike Protein Variants in Humans. And I don't know if you guys remember that whole fucking ridiculous food pyramid that the government cheese put out, where they were literally saying Lucky Charms was more healthy than fucking eggs. Eggs, Like, you know, the gold standard of fucking protein. So all of this shit was kind of going on at the same time. And we were even having a lot of people report that their chickens, A, weren't laying eggs, or B, dying off, or C, the FDA was ordering farmers to kill all of their chickens because of avian flu. So it was like a whole ass concerted effort to fuck up the egg supply in the United States. Now, for what reason? Just pure greed. All of these, you know, mass producers of eggs wanted more money. Um, The FDA ordering this fucking slaughter of millions of chickens. Like, that in itself is just fucking crazy to me. And these farmers had no choice. The FDA would straight up come in and start fining them $50,000 a day if they did not destroy all of their chickens. And then, you know, you see something like, Oh, yeah, now it's finally been proved that fucking 20 years ago, the mass egg producers of the United States conspired to inflate prices. So it just kind of makes you wonder, like, what the fuck is actually going on? Which angle are these motherfuckers going after? Maybe they're going after all. Maybe it was just all a big old dink. But as you can see, 20 years to fucking finally find these fucks guilty of price fixing on eggs I don't know if we'll ever see this latest price-fixing bullshit come to court. You never know. And since we were just talking about the fucking fake-ass food pyramid that our government released, let me give you a list of some of the shit they are saying is more healthy than eggs. Frosted mini-wheats. non-fat frozen yogurt. Almond milk. Honey nut Cheerios. Lucky fucking charms. Do you know how many preservatives and poisons are in cereal? If you don't check it out, but that's a whole ass another rabbit hole. So I don't know if anybody actually believes this bullshit. I mean I'm sure there are. There's still fucking people that are out there getting booster number 63 in combination with a fucking flu shot. So I'm sure those dumb assholes will be like, oh yeah, give me some fucking sugar-laden preservative fucking honey nut Cheerios or Lucky Charms. So I don't know. It's it's like with most things in life. Use your motherfucking brain, people. Like this should be common sense processed cereal with straight up just sugar and marshmallows and shit is never going to be more healthy than some naturally grown food, vegetables, whatever, protein from eggs, and I can't believe that, <laughs> I can't believe this wasn't like more of a big deal when the food pyramid came out. I remember I talked about it back in the day, but it seems like it came out and everyone forgot about it. And I'm sure the fucking plebs of the damn country are like, no, we probably shouldn't feed our kids eggs. Let's go get some fucking honey nut Cheerios. It's totally like healthy and shit, I promise. And maybe it was just a big old ink that that study showed that egg yolk definitely fought the spike protein in kabobo. But anyway, speaking of Kabobo, check this shit out. Disabled people were secretly given do not resuscitate orders. And that's according to Scottish COVID-19 inquiry. According to the Glasgow Disability Alliance chief executive, Teresa Burke, she said GP receptionists were calling up those with disabilities to try to persuade them to sign up to have a DNR order placed on their files, which means do not resuscitate. Teresa Burke also said during this inquiry that some of her members were left so isolated during the lockdowns, they feared their bodies would not be discovered if they died at home. Now, according to this woman, she said, quote, some people were finding out about the DNRs because their GP surgery were approaching them. Some were finding out because they discovered it while they were in the hospital or when something happened to them and they discovered it in passing. Can you fucking imagine these doctors are like, oh, it's not enough, we're fucking killing you by intubating you, but we're going to secretly put DNR orders on your file. That's absolutely fucking diabolic. What else do these psychopath doctors have to do to their patients? You know, the ones that they take that whole oath about doing no harm. What else has to come out about this kabobo pandemic that went down? that shows doctors in their true light. And obviously when I'm saying doctors, I don't mean 100% of doctors, but I do mean about 98% fucking percent of them. So they not only were forcing their sick patients to get booster after booster with literally no information on what were in these shots, long-term effects, or even reading any amount of studies on it, it's absolutely astonishing that they were allowed without the patient's consent to put DNR orders in their chart. That's just like the biggest breach of the patient-doctor relationship. I really hope any doctor, any practice that did this secretly without the patient's knowledge, they need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But as we all know, that's probably not going to happen. All of these doctors that push these lies and these fucking bioweapon shots They're probably not going to be held responsible here Uh, in the United States and Britain, Australia, all over the world. These motherfucking doctors just towed the line without knowing what the fuck they were injecting people with. They killed uncounted people, so many fucking people with their intubation. It's just absolutely astounding that no charges have ever been brought up against these motherfuckers. Or what about fucking Daddy Newsome, who decided it'd be a really good idea to put all these kabobo-infected people into nursing homes, where there's elderly people, immune-compromised people. Let's put these fuckers in there that have this virus, and it's literally a known fact that care homes, nursing homes, whatever the fuck you want to call it, are just like a petri dish. One person gets sick, and that shit runs through the entire facility. So I don't know. Uh, Will Daddy Newsome ever be held accountable? Will the bridge troll Anthony Fauci ever be held responsible? I'm not going to hold my breath on it, but we can all hope, can't we? And to my lovely listeners across the pond, if you guys hear more information about what actually is the outcome of this inquiry, hook your girl up and let me know. Because I mean, sometimes I get random news from over there, but I was actually surprised I even got I read about this thing so yeah send me a link if this should keeps going and just keep me updated i would appreciate it thank you so moving on to shit you won't hear about in the mainstream media the british medical journal published a paper entitled is the us vaccine adverse event reporting system broken i mean is is that a real question are we are we joking around here? Is this a rhetorical question? Because yes, the fuck it is broken. I think anybody that's been paying attention at all during the last 3 years realizes that the ver system is absolutely and irreparably broken. So a BMJ investigation raised concerns that the ver system isn't operating as intended and that signals are being missed. Huh, shocking. Let me tell you about Robert Sullivan. This is one of the cases the BMJ looked at when they were trying to decide if Vares was a piece of shit, rotten turd. So check this out. Robert Sullivan collapsed at home on his treadmill. He's an anesthesiologist in Maryland. He was pretty fit, 49 years old, and a week before falling ill, he had been skiing at high altitudes in Colorado. Sullivan was given a diagnosis of sudden onset pulmonary hypertension which is generally progressive, can be fatal, and in most cases can not be cured. The condition is rare, especially in middle-aged men. So Sullivan decided to file a report with the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. And the reason he did this was because all of these symptoms developed three weeks after getting the second dose of the Kabobo shot. According to Sullivan, he stated the submission process was a glitchy race against the clock. Quote, the format is cumbersome and it times you out, he tells the BMJ. For his troubles, Sullivan received a confirmation by email and a temporary e-report number. He learned from his doctor's office that a Vera's representative had requested medical records, but he didn't hear back for a fucking year. According to the BMJ, they're stating they haven't covered... That the VAR system is not even meeting its own standards. Not only have staffing levels failed to keep pace with the unprecedented number of reports since the rollout of the kabobo shots, but there are signs the system is overwhelmed. Reports aren't being followed up on and signals are being missed. Well, BMJ, I think I fucking could have told you that about, oh, I don't know, fucking two years ago. The BMJ states it's spoken to more than a dozen people, including physicians and a state medical examiner, who have filed bears reports of a serious nature on behalf of themselves or a patient and were never even contacted by clinical reviewers or they were contacted months later. Now check out these fun little numbers. Before the pandemic, VAERS was receiving nearly 60,000 adverse event reports each year. A 2015 CDC article suggests that the agency had the capacity to request records for just a few thousand serious reports each year. But fast forward to 2021, the total number of reports shot up to a million, and since then, over 660,000 more reports have been filed. Nearly one in five meet the criteria of serious. This surge reflects the unprecedented campaign to vaccinate against Kabobo-19. And this is just the fucking USA, you guys. So in America, some 675 million doses have been administered, and the vast majority of recent reports are related to the Kabobo shots. Total shocker, right? The CDC states that, quote, in the event of significant increase, in the bears reports, warranting clinical review, the standard operating procedure requires additional CDC immunization safety office staff to process the cases. According to a FOIA document seen by the British Medical Journal, it suggested that Pfizer had around 1,000 more full-time employees working on vaccine surveillance than the CDC. You know, like the fucking Center for Disease Control. But yeah, the fucking big pharma evil fucks Pfizer somehow are employing more people than the motherfucking CDC, who is supposed to be, I don't know, watching out for American citizens since considering, hey, we pay their fucking salaries. But anyway, the CDC didn't provide the BMJ with specific numbers of staffing, instead stating that its staffing, quote, reflects the need of the office at any given time and can range from several dozen to hundreds. Yeah. So let's be optimistic and be like, hey, they got hundreds of fucking worthless government employees monitoring theirs. How are even hundreds of these people going to be able to get through millions of reports and adequately and thoroughly follow up with either the doctor's office, the patients, whatever? It's just, it's absolutely not possible Included in these several dozen 200s are contractors and individuals reassigned from across the agency. The latest confirmed number of staff as of November 2022, you know, like a year ago, is 70 to 80 full-time workers. Yeah, get, get the fuck out of here. Are you fucking serious? How do they think 70 to 80 full-time workers can get through that much information it's just, it's not fucking possible, obviously. One part I found pretty interesting is that the BMJ has found that the FDA and the CDC essentially maintain two separate VAERS databases. There's the public one containing only initial reports and a private back-end system containing all updates and corrections such as formal diagnoses, recovery, or death. The FDA adverse event reporting system, VAERS, which collects reports on drugs, does maintain a publicly accessible database that gets updated, as does the agency's medical device reporting system, raising the question of why VARES can't do the same. I mean, you think if these motherfuckers were gonna approve some sort of emergency act experimental drug, they'd wanna like, oh, I don't know, beef up their fucking early warning systems to see what the fuck was happening, but they didn't. It's, it's not fucking shocking at all. And here we are in year three and some people are still so fucking brainwashed that they can't wait to run out and get booster number 63 or whatever the fuck we're on now. It's, It could be, I don't know, sometimes it's mind-blowing. Sometimes I'm just like, yeah, fucking it's Tuesday, whatever. I don't know, sometimes it just shocks me all over again. How many people fell for this and how many people are still so fucking brainwashed? I still see people walking around with masks and gloves on. I'm like, motherfucker, get your scared ass back in your house. Don't come out here where all these scary germs are. You could get hurt. You could get a cough. So, I I mean, I don't know. We've all pretty much known that the VAR system is a bunch of bullshit. The CDC and the FDA are captured by corporate interests. It's not surprising at all. It's just infuriating. Oh, and just a little rando side note. Apparently, there's been a fucking outbreak of pneumonia in China. And the World Health Organization is calling on China to reinstate masks, social distancing, and staying at home. The fucking World Health Organization. Who elected these twats? Uh, Did I miss the election somewhere? Was I fucking, I don't know, working my ass off just to pay a shit ton of taxes and then I missed the election? I don't think that's the case. I think the World Health Organization is captured by Bill Gates and his fucking cronies. And now that they have signed that declaration that is giving the World Health Organization power over sovereign countries during pandemics, these little proclamations from the World Health Organization should really be paid attention to. Because if they're going to sit there and bark orders at China, what the fuck do you think they're going to do to a small-ass country that really has no defense against them? Because they are powerful. They do have a lot of fucking funding behind them and a lot of reach. So the World Health Organization is definitely one to be watched. All right, you guys, that's about it for this episode. But before I get out of here, I have to say what's up to our top three downloading states, which are Washington, California, and Michigan. That's what's up, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Hit me up at, at gmail.com if you have a rabbit hole I should explore. As far as our international listeners, we still have Hong Kong in the first place, Canada, Australia, and the U.K. I also have to give another up top and thanks to Travis and Mike for helping to produce this episode. So until next week, you guys be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao ciao.